if you've got a vested interest, shared risk and reward, then, then you're more than halfway there. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, going on almost 20 years ago, I had my first close encounter with the profession which has gone on to become a colleague, a challenger, and a collaborator. That profession is procurement particularly marketing procurement, or as procurement people often refer to it, indirect procurement. One of the first people I found myself working with has a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering from the University of Strathclyde. And I say that, as you'll soon hear, to explain his wonderful accent, which he still has. But when we met, he was procuring point-of-sale refrigeration for a company he worked for, and soon the procurement category manager for marketing services and sponsorship. In those days, we were known as P3, but working with procurement professionals like my guest today made me realise that we would no longer just be working with agencies and their clients, but the procurement would become an essential part of the mix, which is why we changed the company name to Trinity P3, the unholy trinity of marketing, procurement and agencies. It's now almost 20 years on, and it's a big thrill for me to introduce today's guest, who's advanced his career in marketing procurement globally, who better to talk about the role of procurement in the transformation of marketing than David Little. Welcome to Managing Marketing, David. Thanks very much, Darren. A lot to take in there. All true, of course. Thanks for having me, though. Look, um, yeah, I do remember those early days. You know, it, it, it's a, not quite 20 years. Neither of us are that old that we could be working for 20 years. But um, I remember in those days, we used to have some terrific conversations around the place that procurement and marketing found themselves. Because in those days, it wasn't a comfortable relationship, was it? Not necessarily, no. In fact, it wasn't a, co- a comfortable transition for me necessarily either. I basically came from engineering, studied yeah. procurement, if you like, as a postgrad, and they put me straight into procuring engineering stuff. So I had two years in London doing that, and I came to Australia for a, quite a revolutionary change. So it didn't even sit neatly with me. So there was a lot of uncertainty on uh, really what the future held. For, for us, for both sides. But they threw me quite uh, clearly and at the deep end uh, quite quickly in Australia in the, in the office there. Well, you did uh, take to, to it like a duck to water. I mean, I have to say, you know, that you had that uh, calm exterior while underneath the feet were paddling like crazy in, in the initial days. I'm not sure anyone's talked about a calm exterior reference to me, Darren, but that's very nice of you. I was certainly very enthusiastic and it was a very exciting time not least the sports sponsorship, the stuff that I got thrown at the deep end at. I mean, the uh, the fridges were, were one thing. I think we paid, it was about 13 million worth of fridges we bought every year. But the uh, the specifics around uh, creative agencies and sponsorships was really interesting from day one. Well, one of the things I remember is you were always uh, coming forward. You know, that enthusiasm you talk about, you'd always ask the questions 
that uh, that needed to be asked. You know, you were never backward in coming forward with uh, asking either us as consultants or the agencies the, the questions that no one else had been asking. I think there's two parts to that, Darren. One of them is uh, you have a luxury start as a, as a buying person to, to say, explain like you would to a five-year-old, those kind of lines of questioning. And I think you remember the line of question helps me to understand that to, to both sides. Uh, and it gives you a buffer of sometimes cutting through bullshit, but sometimes extremely accelerated learning. Um, and I can't remember the other one I was going to refer to, but that was the most interesting part. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's really important because you know, I've seen quite a few procurement people you know, come unstuck because they're inclined to go into it with, well, I'm the procurement professional and this is the way we do it before they've actually, yeah, they're trying to apply a process to a category that they don't necessarily understand the the drivers of that category. Most definitely. And also I think there's a, there's a, let's say, uh, an expectation to perform in front of their own stakeholders. So they don't want to appear ignorant. Um, but I think when you zoom out and look at our roles in the organisation, oftentimes what you'll find is we're a generalist of any particular subject, but a specialist in the process. And that process, uh, for example, finding out what the business's needs are is almost number one, uh, day one analysis, as they call it in some parts of uh, procurement. So what is it the, the, the company needs from this investment? And I use the word investment, of course, quite advisedly there. And then everything you could do can align to that, including being able to challenge the stakeholders on what they're saying, does that actually align to what the business needs? It's a good point about, you know, really helping uh, marketers, first of all, determine what it is that they need and want, and then articulating that in the most appropriate way. Because, you know, obviously agencies, from my experience, are very ready to fulfil any need. If you're unclear or lack specificity, agencies will just broaden their remit to try and cover every eventuality, which is not necessarily good procurement or good commercial arrangements. Are you referring to scope creep or are you talking to with maintaining scope but actually going off track and what they deliver on that scope? Well, defining scope in the first place. You know, if you don't have a very clear articulation of what scope is, the agencies are happy to respond, but they'll they'll cast the net as wide as possible. And it's then very hard to pull it back in. Some might say that's in their business model sometimes. <laughs> you know a lot of what's included in the retainer much better than I do, Darren, yes. You, you referred to something earlier about uh, aligning with the stakeholders. I was on a webinar well, it was before Christmas recently, and it was generic purchasing uh, procurement discussion. And I, I asked the question, it was consultants, a really, really interesting discussion. I said, I like to tell my team, don't go to the stakeholders and ask them what purchasing can do or procurement can do for you. Uh, ask them what their business challenges are or what their business goals are. And he said, that's absolutely correct, but purchasing 2.0, if you want to call it, uh, it would be the next stage being able to challenge what they say they want and, and say this is not aligned to the, business, the business's needs in that circumstance. So it's an interesting line of question. I think the right thing to do is what your business challenge is, what you're trying to achieve, 
do the interviews, come back, think about it and say, here's my strategy and here's how it will deliver both what you are asking for, but what the business, uh, what, what means the most to the business, I should say. So over the last two decades, what do you think has been the biggest transformation that you've seen in that relationship between uh, procurement and, and marketing and the agencies? Uh, I would say, I would actually ironically say that uh, from the agency side of things, a lot has changed. They are a lot more used to just having us in the room. So our, us being present, us being responsible for the commercial framework, one example. But I would say the paradox is, uh, depending which company you work for, depending which market you're working in, you uh, we keep coming back to marketing stakeholders that are not used to working with us. And that's an evergreen thing. So, uh, as they say. <laughs> yeah, well, because I, I would say uh, that procurement in those early days was seen as purely uh, from a um, sourcing perspective. You know, it was most of the responsibility for procurement was around pricing, uh, negotiating savings or look, identifying yeah. savings opportunities. Whereas, you know, there's been a maturing of the of the category, which is now, and, and you sort of alluded to it, is more a commercial partner now. It's looking at how to make the budget, how to make the investment actually provide a return, isn't it? I think uh, to oversimplify it, which I like doing very often, uh, and to get a soundbite, you know, I call it the difference between the 80s buyers, 80s and 90s buyers and the old guard. Um, let's say I'm being oversimplistic to some extent, but the old guard was people that ended up in purchasing, but people that are actually chose it as a profession. Maybe that's highfalutin to call it a profession. Um, people actually chose it as their, uh, as their calling. Uh, it's, it's a difference in that. So we're seeing the next generation, basically. So they're taking more pride in what they do. Uh, you talked about price, um, people basically talking about compliance, what we call, has a pitch been done, is the contract uh, in place? Uh, we have quite a lot of um, more recent roles I've had, there's been a lot more focus on ethical commitments and now obviously GDPR is becoming huge. So we, for example, have an allocated correspondent on my team to look after that. But everything was about compliance, then cost and then as you know, right off into the sunset. And most of the good stuff happens after you've ridden away in that situation. Trinity P3. Now, you mentioned earlier getting that, um, that engagement from marketers, you know, because one of the things that, uh, it, that comes up regularly in discussions with procurement is how to build that relationship with the marketing team so that they're coming to you earlier. You know, there's nothing worse than uh, the tender's already been issued and now they're asking procurement to come in and fix it up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of skill, there's a lot of luck, and there's a lot of people now getting more used to working with uh, procurement data. The luck part of things might be uh, in terms of which government you have in place internally. For example, the Trinity many companies work with internally these days is uh, procurement and financial controlling. 
and the stakeholder, whether it be from uh, um, zero-based budgeting or whether it just be from um, other financial aspects that need to be looked at, that you have an input into what the budget landed at or what is removed from the budget during the year or, let's say, ring-fenced. And the other part is uh, you don't... Um, <laughs> there's so many good stories to tell about this. But you don't get to tell, uh, inspire people and align them unless you tell them a great story about what you think the vision is. Yeah. So the communication skills from a purchasing point of view, more important. if you sit and wait for something to expire, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, look, and part of that is really understanding the categories you're working in, isn't it? I mean, there, there's, a, there's a need to really understand those drivers as a procurement person if you're going to be the commercial partner that adds value to those relationships. Yeah, most definitely. And um, I think I've alluded to it to you before, Darren, I think the not only is it trickier, but it's more interesting than the procurement stuff. And I like procurement, but I just think the marketing side is, is the head and shoulders above, above just the workaday uh, procurement attitudes to, let's say, buying uh, widgets. Yeah. Well, do you think part of that is a realisation that marketing costs, and, and you said this before, so you, I'm probably answering my own question, but yeah, marketing costs are really the basis of uh, organisational growth. You know, they are an investment because you would certainly, uh, from a sourcing and procurement perspective, take a very different approach to a investment than you would a cost, wouldn't you? Well, you've probably read Buying Less for Less by Jerry Priest, our, uh, our yep. old uh, guru from Procter & Gamble, I believe it was, many years ago. Yep. And he talks about, you know, asks two guys to um, buy a statue each. And one of them has to, whatever the budget is, $10,000. One has to buy one cheap and one has to buy one that's going to be worth more in the future. You don't, you know, dot, dot, ellipsis. You don't really have to see much more after that, Darren. The cheap one won't be worth very much. And uh, you can buy... We work a lot in cosmetics, and uh, in my current role, you can sell uh, Finding Bigfoot on Discovery Channel to an old guy in the middle of the night, but it won't sell uh, mascara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you um, you mentioned about finance and procurement. Uh, we're facing, you know, what do they call it, global economic headwinds. Uh. I'm also hearing from procurement people an increasing pressure, particularly from finance, to look for savings that they can book to the bottom line. Do you think that in, in the face of uh, tightening monetary policy around the world that, that that pressure is being applied back to procurement to, to look for ways of reducing cost? Most definitely, both in terms of process, uh, validating it with your stakeholders, but for you and me, I suppose, Darren, the most interesting thing is I'm seeing it happen both ways in real time. So during the pandemic, we invested a lot more in e-com with pure players. So we're selling more online, basically. Yeah. And uh, reduced our bricks and mortar investment. And we saw it in other areas, of course, travel, uh, car fleet investment, things like that. So I saw it in other areas. But I saw, you know, let's say... Uh, more than a concomitant or reverse concomitant relationship between online investment with pure players and e-com to the reduction in investment. And we're being asked to re reduce and get the same for less on retail mm -hmm. and get more for more. 
in uh, in uh, for example media so our awareness is shot through the roof because we've got great performance just now and we like to say well that's top line we're helping you with the top line part we know you've got trouble here and we've got someone with a different attitude in my team who can help you with that different skill sets but it's really interesting to see it because we just basically look at 12 month or calendar period spend as our our trend not what's going to be invested necessarily no. To, uh, and we can see that's happened in real time over a three to four year period. Trinity P3. You mentioned media there. You know, it's the last, well, it's again, that's almost 10 years. 2015, the, the lid blew off the industry with uh, all these uh, accusations and, and evidence of a lack of transparency. Mm-hmm. Uh Today, there's still issues around things like uh, data ownership and security. Uh, ad fraud is still seems to be an issue, particularly in some of the digital channels. Uh, there's still uh, accusations of not complete transparency in a lot of the uh, media uh, buying relationships. This is uh, this is obviously fertile ground, but quite difficult uh, areas to navigate from a procurement perspective. It is and it isn't. Um, it can be, in terms of financial audit, if you're talking about, you know, you, you got what you bought. Um, I would say if you're talking to purchasing procurement people, by the way, I use the two interchangeably, sourcing, indirect mm-hmm. procurement, um, the pressure would be there, be for them to talk more about a financial audit than a relationship audit that you're the expert at that or a performance audit in terms of media what happens in our case is uh, i work uh, in a european zone we can see that it's almost like a continuum north to south so financial audits are more let's say to put it diplomatically they yield more perhaps the further south you go Right. And, and you know yourself, the landscape in Europe, you have agency deals and you have client deals. We have client deals in the Nordics. Uh, and um, most of the stuff from the actual compliance, so it's like oblique financial audit was about our relationship and how we behave and how we share information, how we brief the agencies. Uh, whereas further south, you might find something different happening. So we literally, right. we were expected to do that from our internal compliance point of view, reduce risk, but it yielded nothing. Uh, and the agency was fine with it. They opened the doors, come in, you're welcome. Bye-bye again, you know, a few days later. It was not an issue. Oh, it's just uh, I saw on uh, LinkedIn uh, and Nick Manning made a comment on it that uh, there was uh, a conversation around agencies using staff from some of the big tech platforms in-house as a way of getting a financial benefit from their uh, the, the, those media providers. You know, the, the big tech platforms were actually filling up agencies who were short of people with their own staff. You know, and, and it seems to me that it, it, it's symptomatic of possibly uh, a system that's still trying to find new ways of, uh, of gilding the lily, so to speak. Well, are, are we talking about permanent or are we talking about uh, contract? Well, putting them in, in place to uh, make up for talent shortfalls ah. was the, uh, the, the 
inference of the uh, the article. It was a bit hard because there were no actual examples. It was more, no, no, no. you know, as you know, the industry thrives on these uh, sort of, um, you know, vague accusations. I suspect it's a subject we're going to come on to later when we talk about the appropriate profile for procurement people. But the, the situation you're describing is really interesting. So we're talking about, like, let's say, a media owner almost or an analytics yeah. owner moving to an agency where we also have the the instance of people moving from an agency to a permanent or temporary role with the client. And the first situation is, uh, I, <laughs> let's say the second situation is more poacher turned gamekeeper. And the first situation is maybe perhaps letting the fox in the hen house. I'm not really <laughs> sure. I'm not really sure the two are comparable. And then the third no. example, who, who are you going to get in procurement is uh, is also, a t- you know, a game a gamekeeper example, but a really interesting one. It, it's good to hear, but it, it's it's mostly based around knowledge sharing. We've seen the mostly good in that, uh, in that where we, there's been agency people coming into the client side permanently or yeah. temporary. It's been only positive. Uh, and I can only compare it, Darren, to working people with people like you and my media auditors uh, and other people at ProcureCon, for example, my journey in marketing procurement wouldn't have been the one it is, not even half the one it has been, without speaking to, let's say, impartial experts. Trinity P3. So, so you are a director of procurement now, aren't you? That's your title. They call it that. <laughs> yeah. I've got but a team of means, four. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got a team. You know, you're managing a team. So I, I am interested in, you know, the, the on your perspective on that ongoing discussion about where is the best place to recruit uh, procurement people for marketing. Yeah, and the reason that yeah, I, I think I mentioned to you um, previously that you know Barry Byrne at Adidas will often say better to get marketers with an analytical bent and and train them up in procurement than trying to get a procurement person's head into marketing and particularly something as complex as media. Yeah, and you probably know Barry and I were colleagues many many moons ago, uh, Guinness in in Dublin. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he's absolutely spot on. You know, you, you can look at agency, you can look at um, um, stakeholder side actually in marketing. Um, and I think I mentioned it to you off the mic uh, on another occasion. The, uh, and it depends on personality, depends on background and interest. You still need the analytical interest. For example, you need the analytical interest the basics of understanding a spreadsheet and how to put it into a graph, things like that, or how to kind of look at data uh, when specifically on media performance. Other than that, as I've said before, um, how do I put this politely? The procurement stuff's easier to learn. Well, because a lot of it is a methodology, isn't it? Yes. Whereas a lot of what you learn about marketing and advertising and, and even media has you know deep roots in things like culture you know there is advertising agencies do have a particular culture and and it's interesting to see when people from agencies make the leap across to the marketing side for instance how that that it can often be a cultural adjustment for them 
you know, and that's hard to tra- that's hard to teach. That's hard to learn. I mean, I, I think you know when we met in the early days, you had the right attitude of just asking those questions. You know, like explain it to me like a five year old. But you know, a lot of people are not willing to do that. And if you don't ask those questions, or you haven't been in those environments yep. and worked in those environments, it is a hard thing to appreciate. Most definitely. So the, the segue, the easy way in is to come from that background to start off with. But, but let's be honest about things. The relationship in letting, purchasing, procurement, keep saying both words, procurement into that discussion with the CDMO or let uh, the agency saying, uh, okay, we'll have a meeting with you and no one else is here. That's completely normal nowadays. It wasn't 20 years ago. But also, as I said, the profession has changed in the 20 years. There are more attractive roles. Uh, I've seen a particular person I recruited, or sorry, they was recruited before I joined my team, come into procurement from marketing. This is a previous role. And was asked as a favor, look, we're in the middle of a pitch. You know about pitches. You were from the stakeholder side. Come in and look at this. And this person was just shocked how interesting it was. And the deeper and deeper he dug, and the, how much he realized he could use the auditor, use the consultants, and then start to address uh, our the way we briefed agencies and the way we invested our money. You'd be better investing it there, further down the pipeline. You're creating awareness up here, but you're suffering in conversion down here. Um, and I would almost argue that's, that's maybe a conversation someone that came from pure procurement wouldn't have had, certainly not early on uh, in the discussion with the stakeholders. And the, and the pay is there, Darren. The pay is there. So they're maybe saying, bloody hell, this is fun. People are taking me seriously. I'm sitting, I'm right in the middle of the spider's web of information here. And I can see the impact that contract I did with that agency is actually improving top line growth for my own company. Yeah. An empowerment journey that most other marketers don't get. I had a guy from Johnson & Johnson at ProcureCon four years ago, and he said I learned more. He came from marketing. I learned more about marketing and procurement marketing than I did in marketing. Bit of a mouthful. Look, and, and I'm actually not surprised about that because I think, you know, marketing is a discipline and, and uh, Professor Mark Ritson, who runs his mini MBA in marketing, you know, and, and brand uh, will tell you that you know it's important to learn the marketing process, you know the the sort of methodology and and have that as a base. But it's interesting, and the thing that always excites me is looking at marketing from a business perspective. And I think that's where for for procurement it becomes really interesting because it's understanding where the money's invested and why. And getting to what is there a better way of doing this? You know, that value proposition is ultimately every dollar that goes in should be returning some sort of investment. And, you know, uh, uh, one of the exciting things for me is uh, artificial intelligence and the huge amounts of data is starting to make the what was that old question of half my advertising budget's wasted? I don't know which half. But in actual fact, we're so close or we can answer that question now. And to me, that's the next opportunity for marketing procurement is to be 
the sort of commercial partner that is helping answer that question. Yeah, it's the whole story about attribution, isn't it, Darren? The more we're going yeah. online, the more we can plot the whole journey, and the more we can see uh, cause and effect. Yes, I have seen a huge difference in that area, but at the same time, I've seen a concomitant, an enormous reduction in TV investment. It's very interesting in the Nordics, for example, if you have four countries, nominally four countries, four bigger ones, they're roughly the same size apart from Sweden. So when TV investments drop, then the question starts to stop, starts to appear on the horizon. Should I be investing in this at all on that brand? When, when mm. am I going to pull the plug on that? Because, you know, influencer spends uh, advocacy is increasing like, uh, like no tomorrow. So we're seeing that, coming back to your question or your, your point, is we're seeing that in real time. So we're seeing the smoke and mirrors, let's say, of, of the yeah. past and not being able to link that to sales or share of market, share of voice, all that kind of stuff. Now we're seeing it in real time where it does happen. Trinity P3. I think also breaking through to your point, the, the last click attribution, because the trouble with attribution is that it gets horribly skewed by the, the way the attribution model's built. You know, last click means that you put everything in, you know, search, for instance, because that's where you get direct attribution. But in actual fact, you know, the, these new models are actually econometric models that are producing real-time recommendations yeah. of where to invest. Yeah, and I think that's the exciting part. You know, it's no longer um, uh, being skewed by the measurement that the huge amounts of data being analysed means that we're starting to see real trends that then informs marketing decisions. Most definitely. We're working more with a, what we call a pure player model here in the Nordics. We don't do a lot of B2C. Uh, in my company at the moment. And as I say, there's still a, quite an element of uh, mass awareness, TV, etc. So we're, we're obviously in a transition phase, Darren. Uh, so it's extremely exciting to, to see the development of what you're talking about. You'll be seeing cause and effect in real time and I'll be able to, uh, let's say, adjust your investments accordingly. We're, we're able to do that certainly on the digital side at the moment and we're empowering our agency to do so as well. But um, Exciting times, exciting times. We've not plotted the full journey, as I say. We go off here and back on here, however you want to talk about or describe the situation. So cause and effect, uh, the, let's say, let's say our, there's still a little bit of Vaseline on our, on our uh, reading yeah. glasses, uh, but they're getting clearer by the day. Well, because I know about two or three years ago, you know, the WFA launched their um, Project Spring, which was all about procurement, putting more focus on value and the, the efforts of measuring value and less on cost, which is an interesting conundrum because value is invariably a function of cost. You know, whatever it costs you, value will come down to, well, what's the return on it in some way, whether it's measurable or, or, or not. Um, do you see that the, the pursuit of being able to measure value or be able to uh, create value assessments is an important part of the procurement role now in marketing? If it's not, it's doing a very good job of pretending to be that or appearing as that. Um, let's say it gives you the right to, it's part of a vision, 
as I mentioned earlier, you create for your stakeholders. And a, and a concrete example of that would be um, the uh, someone on my team uses. I can't remember if it's a quote that you used, Darren. Is it the uh, the Oscar Wilde quote? A fool knows the price of everything and the value yeah. of nothing. Uh, yeah. And by the way, there's a lot of your quotes that have been well worn now, and I've, I've passed on. And uh, try to rem- I tried to remember which ones I borrowed from you constantly. It's okay. I, it's okay. I only st- I only steal from the best. So you know. <laughs> Oliver Well, Oscar Wells, not a bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, not a bad um, start. Not a bad start at all. Um, yeah, I mean it's essential. It's part of the vision you create with those guys. And 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 okay, let's assume they set up at that. That sounds good. That sounds good. Okay, what does that mean? And the, the more nutty you get, the more granular you get in the description of how the agency's performance is going to help them achieve what they want to do. The better it's going to be. But I'm I'm still in I'm still in this um, I'm still in a situation where. I have colleagues trying to recruit people from marketing into, let's say, above-the-line marketing roles, to use a, an old-fashioned expression, um, and struggling. But I also have some other colleagues not quite getting there. So mm-hmm. let's say the discussions come from fees to we call it cost and performance in some of our aud- audits. Yeah. And 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 you in your in your world that would mean that would uh, manifest itself as cost per mail or cost per impression, right? Great, yeah. but not year on year if you're benchmarking last year's in an inflationary world. Unrealistic. Uh, and I do the dot dot dot, and I see I see some of the my procurement colleagues this look starting to glaze over because the next part, the next level was the important one. The yeah. which ones are, and then we're going to go back to one of your expressions. It's a motto for the guy in my team as well. Input to output to outcome, Darren. We've actually plotted that. So we can describe the continuum of KPIs that would describe that. So the value part, you'll never get an agency to take full responsibility. And you've got another graph on that for your sales or your market share because uh, there are too many variables in that mix specifically with what your competitors are doing but the further you push the agency to share risk and reward along that continuum up the, the actual end of value the better you get and by the way you're actually gone beyond what most of your stakeholders recognizes what they how they classify success for their agencies and take them on to the next level. Um, specifically on media, there's a lot of people wanted to be creative, so they oh. they're, they're not all they're not all comfortable with the media space. I love it; it's it's become my favorite. Oh. But the input to output to outcome is very very interesting because you're not let's say on a very vulgar level, you're not paying for hours anymore. No. No, and, and yeah, this is ultimately where we ne- need to get to. Uh, look, I agree with you. I think media is so f- interesting. It's like, I, I, I think I wrote an article about it. Um, it's like the game of Go, you know, the, the black and white tiles that they play in Asia. Oh, and, yeah. And, it's a, yeah, and the only rule is you put one tile down and if you encircle your opposition, you get all their tiles. Yeah, right. very simple rules. I mean, simpler than chess, mm-hmm. okay? And I, th- I think media is the same because most people think, oh, well, media is simple. You know, media is so simple. You just have to buy the right 
the right placement in the right media at the right time with the right message mm. at scale mm. and you'll get results. Well, yes, simplistically, but it takes a, a lifetime to learn the game of Go, to master it. It takes a lifetime to master media, mm. you know, yeah. and, and the fact that it's constantly evolving means that it's a constant learning process. I think that's what I love about the media challenge yeah. is that it's it looks simple but it's actually incredibly nuanced the more you go down into the weeds. Most definitely. Um, I like to talk about the key building blocks. I think I mentioned to you before I've been lucky and I've been skillful. Not I've not been skillful, but there's hard work being put in place with an awful lot of luck. So let's say I've been in about four situations where we tried to improve media, having conversations in all directions. Uh, a resistant marketing director, CDMO, uh, no media auditor in place, uh, a reluctant agency, um, also a very kind of uh, inflexible contract framework to work on. I've gone from the op I've also I've gone from the opposite situation as well. So very interested CDMO, media based. Uh, there's a media auditor already in place. And I've got to say, one of the biggest things is, um, I'll come back to your point, there's a reason, there's a, there's a method in my madness mm. here, is that when, sometimes when you get a great agency, you can evolve that contract. And when you're able to evolve the contract and talk about value, sometimes the, the conversations, conversations are uncomfortable. But I actually accelerated my learning when all parties were willing to open up and learn themselves and try new things. One output of that was being able to sort of silo and segment countries or types of medium rather than taking averages of performance. So that's a very basic level and put that in the bonus. But I've also seen uh, intransigence from all sides and having to be, and by the way, this is the most important skill in, in procurement, selling, you have to sell. Yeah. Because the, the banging the table negotiation stuff people associate with buying is uh, that's by the by. That's not really important. It's, it's selling internally. The great idea. How are you going to help them achieve their, their wildest dreams? Well, I, I, I had a similar situation. I was brought in and uh, the creative agency, the media agencies, the media agency and the client team all had different perspectives. They had a performance-based model that was so complicated that it <clears throat> hadn't been reconciled for two years. Like the model itself was so complicated that no one could work out what the payment was to the agencies. And I said, let's simplify this. And they go, and the agencies were saying, well, you know, to the point you made earlier, we can't control everything. How can, you know, we don't want it to be sales. And I turned to the CMO, I said, what are your KPIs? What do you get bonused on? Because I knew that all the marketing team were on personal bonuses, and they all shared the same KPIs. And I said, you know, it was like volume, um, a market share and something else. And I said, why don't we just share that with all the agencies and bonus them in the same way that you're bonus for achieving the same KPIs? You're sharing your KPIs with the agency. Now, everyone... I was going to ask, what kind it. of agency was this? <laughs> but creative and uh, I was going to say because I think we looked at that when I was media. in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. media and and the, the, within six months, I, I checked in to see how it was going, 
And all of the marketers said, every meeting starts with how's volume, how's market share, and, and whatever the other KPI. That was the starting point for every conversation. And then every brief was, how is this going to move those three things? Horses for courses, the right bonus for the right situation. If it's too complicated, you can't work it out. By the way, I used to be embarrassed if we hadn't calculated and paid it by February. So yeah. that's interesting you two mentioned years. that. Exactly, two years. But the other point there would be is um, if you've got the right agency on your side, yeah. skills are very important, right people. But if you've got a vested interest, shared risk and reward, then, then you're uh, more than halfway there. I've got to be honest. I've met a lot of CEOs of, uh, of uh, agencies that uh, were more risk averse than others. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say at the moment we've got one that really feels like their success is aligned to ours. But that's not a given situation. I, I, also, the other building blocks I told you about. There are other actual details you have to get in place, but these are the building blocks to open that up. Yeah. But the, the agency attitude is pretty much almost the single most important part. They, they, they won't move on the journey otherwise. Yeah. Um, we're just, uh, I've noticed the clock, we're running out of time. I'm, it's just flown by. What, what's the piece of advice that you would give anyone that's starting out in marketing procurement or indirects and looking at marketing? What's, what's the entry point that they should be thinking? Oh, boy. Uh, it's a really tricky one. Um, I think, Darren, from my point of view, you can't change the person. So you can't have any person at all. So to, to assume you could put anybody from any procurement background in that and they would have the right attitude, I've talked about this quite a few times. And I think we talked about it in one of the articles I did for you a long time ago is, you know, should they work together? Sometimes they shouldn't. Darren, sometimes you honestly shouldn't. So number one, it really depends on the person we're, we're, we're referring to in that situation. But um, the biggest learning stuff is great if you've got an auditor, a relationship auditor, language-wise, get in and speak to them. Get in and get your hands dirty and spend some time with the agencies. That's, that's incredibly important. Uh, and I think, the let's say... The climate is more conducive to being able to do that. I'm not saying you will always be welcome, but let's say 15, 20 years ago, it would have been a very odd thing to do because you might have been only there for the prep discussions twice a year. But get in there and understand the métier, as we call it at my company, understand the subject matter you're discussing. But uh, going back to your one, buy for both those things because it's a value. So understand value in any conversation so that at top level you could challenge your stakeholders and and another level you could ch challenge your agencies what value means rather than cost yeah no, I, i'd advice. like to make it simpler for you darren I'd, I'd, you know if anyone can do it just simple. think about this yeah 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 <laughs> david great to chat i really appreciate you uh taking the time and uh having the conversation it's always great to speak to you, Darren. Good to see you're looking healthy and well. And I always learn something when I'm with you as well. So I hope I've I hope Likewise. I've, I've not actually quoted you when I didn't know I was, but I tried to mention your name when I am. <laughs> Good attribution there. Thanks a lot. Hey, look, a final question be uh, before we finish. You know, if you weren't working in procurement, 
Would you be happy in mechanical engineering? Thank <laughs> you.